I want to start today by telling you about a lion of a man in my life. Almost all of us have, uh, we have lions. People who, well, sometimes we think of them as lions because they actually, uh, they're fierce and somewhere along the line they, they bit us, right? People are really important, uh, but they're important maybe not for all the greatest of reasons. They've left some scars. And then there are those kinds of lions that they just have such an important place in your life that they they have like this royal place of remembrance in your, uh, in your life. And today I want to talk about one of those second kinds of lions, a man named Mr. Bell. And I don't know how old Mr. Bell was when I am thinking of this. There was a season in our life when I was probably third, fourth grade, something like that, where we went to church extraordinarily regularly at this small little Lutheran church, church in the town next to us. Um, and Mr. Bell, that's where Mr. Bell went. And Mr. Bell, he, he probably was in his mid-70s, but he felt to me like he was 110. Because I was in third grade, I didn't know any better. And uh, Mr. Bell, he, uh, I think he was a career Navy man. This slightly bow-legged guy, big huge chest, kind of walked down the aisle like this. And uh, he was a boxer. He had this huge uh, tattoo in his arm. Before that was cool, a big, huge anchor and snakes wrapped around it, or I don't remember. And I don't really know why, but um, he, he singled me out. For the years that we were there and that he was also there, he, he often would pull me aside. Before worship service, usually after, they had this thing called the Koinonia Hour, which really, uh, in third grade language, was donuts and juice. And Mr. Bell would always find me and say, Eric, come here, I want to tell you something. And he had all sorts of things he wanted to share with me. Uh, so, you know, he, he was kind of a gruff guy and had sort of a rough life, it sounds like. And yet he also was simultaneously, with me at least, extraordinarily gentle. And he'd come to me and, and he'd say, hey, I, I just want you to, I want you to know something. Always love your wife. <laughs> he wanted to say, like, I haven't always done that, but I want you to know, he went on, when you're married, you've said yes to loving your wife. You've made some promises. You keep them. Yes, Mr. Bell. There's only one more donut in the hole left. Can I go get it? <laughs> but I remember. One time he pulled me aside, and I don't, I don't know what made him want to do this, give me this piece of advice. He's like, I want you to know something, Eric. I'm, I'm really glad you're here today. And here's what I want you to know. Church is important always. It's like, I know you're in third grade, and I'm not. But this is a beautiful thing. Church is really important. He also shared some advice that uh, was a little uh, rougher around the edges. In fact, he gave me some advice I didn't understand as a third grader, that I asked my mom what it meant, and she blushed all the way up to her ears and said, where did you hear that? And I said, Mr. Bell? And she's like, of course. <laughs> he was a... Uh, he was, he was beautiful. He was an amazing man. 
one time he, uh, because he was a boxer, like, hey, Eric, do you want to know how to take a body blow? I'm like, I'm in third grade, Mr. Bell. But sure, he's like, here's what you do. You take a basketball. And you have that, I have no idea. This is his voice. I'm not making this up. And you lay on it, stiff as a board, and roll around. It tightens up all those muscles. I'm like, that's excellent, Mr. Bell. I'm <laughs> but here's the thing about that. Mr. Mr. Bell obviously is a lion in my life. That was 38 years ago. I can imitate his voice. I can remember the advice. And I can tell you much of the way I've shaped my life, as it turns out, um, has been pretty close to some of the things that Mr. Bell reminded me of. Not only him, for sure. He wasn't in my life for long enough. But he was very, very intentional with me. He, he, he gave to me what he could in that season of life. And here we are, we're on this fifth of this five-week series on generosity, and, and I'm realizing now, just as we come to the end, when at first I felt maybe five weeks was too much, I would love to preach on God's generosity and our response for the next 20 weeks, if I could. But I just get this one last week this time around. What I've realized is, is Mr. Bell, he, he, he exercised a different kind of generosity. Oftentimes we talk about money and financial generosity, and we'll talk about that too, a little bit today even. But he was generous, generous with, his, with his time with his perspective, with his even just deciding to see me, spend some time with me. He sought to leave a certain kind of a, certain kind of a, a legacy. That's what I want to talk about today. What, really, what is generosity in the light of the, the legacy that we might actually want to begin to build? Some of us in this room are deeply in the question, have I left the kind of legacy I want to leave? You're in the last 5, 10, 20 years of your life. Some of you are just getting started. It's not too early to think about a, a legacy and, and what it might require. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about two whole chapters of the Bible very quickly today um, as we go through this. First Chronicles which is probably not the book of the Bible you've read often. It's the book of the Bible that's right before Second Chronicles. And we'll get to there in just a second and page number and all those things. But it's one of those passages that actually for uh, many churches, for many, 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 many years, has, has been one of those passages that they've, they've um, used or they've made sure that people are aware of as they are in the middle of a building campaign which we announced last Sunday, we're on that path sometime in the next couple of years to seek to build new facilities for the sake of Boulder. But I'm not going to talk about that now. We'll probably come back to this passage then. There's a really extraordinary sort of understanding of what legacy might look like in light of what God has first given to us. So let's pray, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, King David and the, at the very end of Verse Chronicles. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us, for bringing us here safely. We pray for those uh, who could not be here today, who are out traveling or who feel socked in by this weather and um, stuck in their own homes. We pray, Lord, that you also would meet with them. 
Would you take care of them as you are taking care of us? Would you ready their hearts as we have been seeking to ready our heart? Would the words of my mouth and our meditations be pleasing and acceptable to you? For you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, First Chronicles. So I'm going to try to find a way very quickly to summarize where we are in the story of, of God's people. Is, um, God has been a God with the people on the move for, at this point, decades and centuries. And they've had a king. Not even the first king, their second king, King David. And, and now they're in a space where they feel secure, confident, ready, planted. And, and David says, I'm going to build a temple. And God says, no, you're not. It actually is going to be the work of your son, Solomon, the next king. And what First Chronicles is then is sort of this story of what, what David actually does in light of the fact that, that he feels so strongly that a temple needs to be made, but it's not going to be his work. What's he going to do? How's he going to act? And what we see him is sort of gathering uh, resources in the treasury for this monumental, huge task. We see him starting to sort of uh, educate and train and get ready leaders of um, some of the tribes of Israel and craftspeople and those who are administrators. And he's starting to get all these things ready. And we see sort of this recursive process of, of uh, David and David's wisdom as a king getting ready to do something that he won't get to personally benefit from. He won't be the king when this thing is built. And we get to the very end here, and he's, he's about to hand over the reigns of this kingdom to Solomon, and he's gathered all these things, he's gathered the people around him, and he wants to say some things to them about how to live their life going forward. I'm going to share some of the things he says with you. It's worth reading uh, chapters 28 and 29 and sort of noting whatever things you might notice about um, God's work in David's life and how it might be like yours and what it has to say about our generosity. But he has all these people together. He said things. I've got some, I've got all these treasures set aside to do this huge work. And, and uh, at chapter 28, verses 8 through 10, he starts with this. He has this to say to Solomon. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. At the very beginning of this project, David essentially is saying the source of this generosity, Solomon, if, if these things are really going to take root in our people is, is more than the building. Before we've planted a shovel or um, done anything else, let's, let's make sure that we understand that generosity is more than just our finances. And the first thing that David wants to do here is he wants to make sure that he, he's able to sort of leave a legacy of faith. 
That's what he wants to do more than anything else. If he's going to build a temple, it's, it's not because he wants glory for himself. It's because he wants to leave a legacy of faith that keeps on pointing to God. And this is what he says. He says, acknowledge the God of your father. See, every generation faces its own spiritual seductions and deceptions. Every single one of us has a certain sort of lie that we live into, even spiritually, because of the age that we're in. And David says, Solomon, as you step into this work, make sure that you're seeking to follow the same God that I've been sharing with you and living in front of you. Acknowledge the God of your father. Let him be part of your life and direct your steps David has taken a survey, and he knows what's on the periphery of his kingdom. He, he knows the other gods that will seek to vie for Solomon's attention. He says, don't do it. Let me give you this greatest gift of all, and that is knowing the true creator of the universe. Don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in. Those of you who know the story of Solomon, you know he spent the first half of his life doing a pretty good job of acknowledging the God of his father, and the second half of his life, not so much. But then he goes on and he says, serve that God with devotion and a a willing mind. See, all the money that we've acquired to do this project will mean nothing if your mind and your imagination wander from God. Acknowledge God, the God of your Father. Let your imagination and your mind wander in the direction of His glory. Let your mind sort of take root in what God has in store for you. Let that story become the dominant story of your life. Because here's the thing that I want you to know, Solomon, David continues, that God knows 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 our heart and our every desire. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing is to be gained when we reject or forsake him. If we're going to live the kind of life that he wants, if there's going to be a life of generosity at all, it has to be grounded in him and let our, our hearts be shaped by him. And then he says this thing, I think you should say to every child around you. You are God's choice for this moment. Do you have children of your own? Do you have grandchildren? Do you participate in our children's ministry? What if you decided to just have your own sort of, sort of little Mr. Bell moment and started finding the children that you cross paths with here all the time and say, hey, I want you to know something. You are chosen by God. You, of all the people that he could have chosen for what needs to happen, he chose you. It's like he sort of lined everyone up on recess and says, every single one of you is my choice. You're on my team. I have a work for you. 
I want you to know this, he says. You are chosen by God for this moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. When was the last time you spoke to a child like that? What are you waiting for? Did you know that there are like hundreds of children and students here who, who need to know that they have, um, are seen by God, that they need to acknowledge God, and that God has chosen them at this moment for something beautiful and unique? Let the kids know. Maybe not all of you all at once, because that might be creepy. <laughs> but just choose someone whose path you cross all the time. And let them know you have been chosen by God for this moment. Don't miss it. And he goes on, and he, he says, and this, this spiritual legacy that I'm seeking to, to leave to you that you would acknowledge God and you'd let your will be shaped by him and you'd let him um, know what he already knows about you and that you would know that you're chosen. Then he says, be strong and do the work. These things I'm letting you know, they actually have implications for the way you live. It's going to challenge the way you shape your life and the decisions you make. And you've been invited to do something big be strong and do the work. In fact, it's so important to, to David that Solomon know this as his son that he says it again in verse 20. He says this way. There we go. David said also to Solomon again to his son, be strong and courageous. Do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you, which is another way of saying he's chosen you. Friends, this really is the point of generosity. It's not simply that money sort of just flows through us and time and effort and talents flow through us. But actually, it's about leaving a legacy of faith with our time and our talent and our treasure. That we're strong and courageous and we, we do the work, not just for ourselves, but for those who are the recipients, even those we don't yet know, those who've not even yet been named. So the first thing I want you to know about generosity is it's at the very core, at the heart of its intent, is that we would leave a legacy of faith for our city, for our families, for our neighbors, for the generations after us. Leave a legacy of faith. Then this really interesting thing happens with David after he gives us advice. He says, and here's, the, here's what I'm giving to this project. Here's, here's all the stuff that's in the treasury that I'm, that I'm going to give, that I've been collecting and preparing for. And it's, it is a load of stuff. It is so much. And then he says this. He says, not only that, besides that, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold 
and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything else I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of walls of the buildings, and for the gold work, and for the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. And then he says, Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? I prepared the kingdom. I've given this extraordinary amount out of my own wealth. Now, who's with me? Who's going to do this thing with me? Are we ready? Are we ready to sort of jump in to what God has for us as a people, he asks. And here's the other thing that I want you to know about a life of generosity. Let's go do it. Can you get there? Not yet. Simply is this. Generosity is an invitation for others to join along. Invite, there it is, thank you. Invite generosity out of others. See, what's, what's clear, even uh, with David and the kingdom's extraordinary wealth, this is not just about money, friends. This is about the state and spirit of our souls and recognizing what God has already done for us. It's like, this is what I've done, this is what I can do. Now, who's with me? Who's going to jump in? Who's going to join this thing we're seeking to do together as a community? And then this is what happens next in the next uh, chunk of verses. Well, right after he says, who's with me, the, the leaders, the officers, the commanders, and the officials, they, they all gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, of silver, of bronze, and of iron. And then anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So the kingdom gave. David gave. The leaders gave what they could give. Anyone who had even a precious stone to be able to contribute, they gave which is a really important corollary of what we want to say about what it means to invite generosity from others. Give in proportion to what you have received. Only David could have given what David gave. Right? No one else could have done that. In fact, he gave more than all of the other leaders, commanders, administrators combined. And you know what happened when they gave what they could give? They celebrated and rejoiced at the Lord's generosity acting through them. And then anyone else who wasn't a leader or commander who probably had less money, they, they gave their precious stones. They, they gave at a proportion of what they already had. And do you know what they did? They celebrated at the generosity of God's people. No one expected David uh, to give to David's level. No one expected anyone else to give what David gave. Only Dave could do that, Dave. My friend Dave. <laughs> but those who could give precious stones was also cause for rejoicing. And we see this uh, in Luke chapter 21. Some people call this uh, the widow's mite. And there was this box that was uh, in the temple 
And this was actually a different temple than the one David built. That one got destroyed, or Solomon built. And in the temple was this big box, and, and uh, you know, the bigger the amount of money, the, the louder the coins, the bigger the coins, and the louder the coins when they dropped into the box. And so people would come by and not only drop them, but kind of shove them in to, like, get a good, you know, clink out of the box. And Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. They had plenty left. But she gave out of her poverty, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, what's really, um, what really matters to the Lord, what really matters to generosity is it's not the amount. It's are you giving out of response of what you know God has already given to you? And Jesus watches this, this widow who has just these tiny two little sort of copper coins and drops them in and they just make this feeble little clank and he says, the Lord God is most pleased with that gift. That was the biggest, best gift of the day. Why? Because we're invited to give. We're invited to give in accordance with what we can, not what we can't. But we are invited to give. We're invited to participate in the generosity of God's people together. Both in our, in our time, like Mr. Bell, and in our finances. So leave a legacy of faith and invite others into generosity. I want to tell you this story about a, a friend of mine who sought uh, to do this in a really very tangible way when we were in Berkeley. Uh, he, um, my friend recognized that a lot of his friends who uh, weren't Christians, didn't have any faith at all, had no practice of generosity uh, in their life at all. All their money was reserved for themselves. Their life was essentially orchestrated around their own comfort. And so he created this event for his uh, friends, both in his church and his friends in his workplace and his neighborhood that didn't attend church, called Burning Loaf. Let me tell you, this is a screenshot of the website. Let me tell you a little bit about Burning Loaf. I'll read it to you because I know the font's a little bit small and funky to read. Make a meatloaf, barbecue it, give away money. One loaf. Why? Second uh, little sticky there. Because you can. Now, here are the rules with a little more clarity on the bottom there. First, bunch of dudes. This is a men's only event. Sorry, ladies. Two, only one meatloaf. Three, the loaf is not cut until the money is sent. So everyone who's been invited who comes to this, they know that they're coming, and the, the price of entry is to give whatever they feel led to give. And the money gets collected, and then one check is sent to um, the charity that was selected at the very beginning of the event. For the years that we were there, more often than not, it was, um, I think appropriately so, uh, it was a food pantry. And one of the years that I was there, just before I came here, uh, they collected in one night almost $22,000.
for a lot of people, this, they, this was the only thing they gave to you all year. Talking about, like, you know, tech sector executives had no habit of giving. This, this was like the start of that. This is how they sort of learned how to, how to um, recognize. They were invited into generosity. And the part of, the, I think, the very hidden, quiet desire for that is, is maybe they might actually have then some sort of an interaction with the one who's the source of what they just gave away. They might discover relationally they're, they're in a backyard filled with people who are Christians. More Christians than they thought probably even existed in the Bay Area. All in one place. Here's a picture of uh, one of these events. Little Bay Area backyard. Um, my back is to the camera and the orange baseball hat there kind of in the foreground. As people gather, they write their check. They, you know, there's some appetizers and there's wine and there's beers. All sort of like been given for the joy of the, of the moment. No one pays for any of this. And they give whatever they can, whatever they're ready to give, and that gets collected. And by the end of the time that I was there, the food pantry sent a representative to say thank you and to celebrate the moment itself. How cool is that? And then finally when the check is given and there's that moment, we get to cut into the meatloaf. And here's an example of a meatloaf. (laughs) Friends, we don't kid around when we invite others into generosity. See, that's what it means for us to get stepped into the the legacy of knowing and following God. We get to remember who He is and to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. We get to build and shape our life according to His will and purpose. And then we get to do really outrageous things, invite other people to think of their resources and their wealth and their time as a gift to benefit others. Friends, this is what it's like for us to be part of God's people connected to the wellspring of all generosity. Remember the Lord himself. We invite others into it. And then finally, we always remember to soak into the wellspring. See, David, in these last couple of chapters, he's like, I've got this all organized Solomon, I have some things I want you to know. Keep the faith. This will be a total failure if you can't keep the faith. Let's invite others into this story of what we're doing because it's good. And everyone can participate at the level with which God has already been abundant with them. And then finally, I'm going to read this closing prayer. After all this, he's addressed all the people. He's, he's gathered the resources. He's, he's made sure this really is about his spiritual work. He's done all these things. And then just before he hands over the kingdom to Solomon, he offers this prayer. And I just want it to be our final prayer. This is him soaking in the wellspring. Hopefully you'll, you'll hear themes of, of him saying, God, all of this is from you. I'm just going to read it as our prayer before we come to the table. This is um, chapter 29, starting at verse 10. Let's pray along in your hearts. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying this, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power. 
and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. But Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it already belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart, and you are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and King. 